Welcome back to another episode of Next Gen Athletics, a podcast all about college sports. In today's show, we're going to talk about the upcoming college football playoffs and other New Year's Six Bowls. We will break down all the matchups and storylines for those games. Now, ladies and gents, let's kick the tires and light the fires. Welcome back, everybody. We have exciting news to bring to you. I tweeted out last night that we were we had a little surprise, and the surprise is we're making a couple changes to Next Gen Athletics. The main one being friend and ally of the show, Thomas Woods, has joined us as co-host of Next Gen Athletics. Thomas, welcome to the family. Welcome to the team. Excited to be here, man. Really excited. So, like I said, we're going to do a couple different changes. One of those changes is going to be that Thomas and I are each going to do our own podcast. Like you guys know, I go to South Carolina, Thomas goes to Clemson. So what that means is I'm going to do my own South Carolina Gamecock show, whereas Clemson or uh, Thomas is going to do his own Clemson show. So Thomas, kind of introduce yourself a little better. I know you've done it before, but we've gained a couple new listeners. So introduce yourself. So I'm um, Thomas Woods. Uh, I'm a Clemson student, sophomore at Clemson, lifelong Clemson fan, and uh, you know been cheering on the Tigers in every sport for as long as I can remember. Really excited just to be able to cover it, um, be a part of Next Gen Athletics, and you know build this company, build this brand. Absolutely, Thomas. We are super excited to bring you on, guys. I've always said that I want to bring you the best, um, optimum experience so that you guys can learn about college athletics. This is just another step in the right direction for us to gain listeners and give you guys the best experience possible. Now, with that being said, the most exciting time of the college football season is upon us. It is bowl season. It is the time when champions are crowned. We are getting into the college football playoff coming up this weekend. Thomas, how how many games have you been able to watch so far and which ones have really stood out to you? You know, every game that's uh, – or every day that's had a game so far, I've tried to watch at least one. And um, I think for me the, the best one so far has been the Myrtle Beach Bowl. You know, I got, to, I got to go in person, got to watch Marshall and UConn go at it. And it was just really good to watch two teams that I'd never seen before. Well, I'd seen UConn before, but two teams play in a game that really didn't matter to me and just be a neutral fan. It was really fun to watch that in person and be a part of both traditions, seeing how Marshall did things as fans and seeing how UConn did things. It was really cool. I think it's been my favorite game so far. Absolutely. You know, some of the beauty of of these bowl games is that you get to go to a bowl game that's closer to you and get to watch and experience these different teams. Obviously, like Thomas said, he was able to go down to the Myrtle Beach Bowl. I was out of town, was unable. I was planning on it, was thinking about it. Um, But, Thomas, we're bringing you in for a reason, buddy. (laughs) With that being said... The New Year's Six Bowl games are upon us. They will begin this Friday with the Orange Bowl with number six, Tennessee, taking on number seven, Clemson. Clemson is a a four-and-a-half-point favorite. Now, Thomas, obviously, as we know, you go to Clemson. So kind of give us the lowdown. How do the Tigers feel going into this matchup? You know, one thing that's special about Clemson is how each game matters a ton to all the players and coaches. And so although they didn't reach the goal of making the playoffs this year, they still see the Orange Bowl as a huge game. I think the biggest thing going into this game is is the new quarterback. Uh, Cade Klubnick getting his first start with DJ Uyangalale, uh transferring. And so I think the big thing to watch for in this game is how Cade can handle being a leader of the team. As a starting quarterback, even though he's a true freshman, he has to be a leader. And so it'll be really interesting to see how the guys, you know, kind of follow him. You know, uh, DJ had a good good control over the locker room. And I think it's interesting to see if, if Cade can do that same thing and lead this team to a Orange Bowl victory. Yeah, absolutely. I think the storyline of this game is going to be the two teams with two new quarterbacks. Obviously, DJ announcing that he was transferring to Oregon State. We wish him the best out there on the West Coast with his little brother being at Oregon. I'm sure a little family rivalry is, uh, is going to be exciting and fun for that family. 
and, and with Hendon Hooker tearing his ACL for Tennessee, you know, awful injury. You know, you never want to see people get hurt, but unfortunately we play these sports for a reason and, and, and it's fun, but they have their downs and their lows as well with injuries. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that Tennessee offense with so many opt-outs like the likes of star wide receiver Blitnikoff winner uh, Jalen Hyatt declaring for the NFL draft, how that offense is going to be able to compete with a Clemson defense who has one of the best defensive lines in the country and a defensive line that really hasn't lost anybody. We were talking a little bit before we started recording how, how a lot of these guys, with the exception of one, was all coming back and, and maybe even coming back for another year at Clemson. So kind of kind of talk about that, Thomas. You know, in a year where we've seen so many opt-outs and in a time where the transfer portal is crazy, you know, we had news the other day about Sam Hartman was going to enter the portal and his destination was Notre Dame, but he hadn't entered the portal. So how in the world was Notre Dame the destination already? You know, I, I mean, maybe I don't know the rules, but I, I – I think you can't do that, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. maybe you can. So in a crazy time like this where you have so many opt-outs, you have so many people declaring for the portal, declaring for the draft, how has Clemson maintained all these guys, and and, and especially on that defensive line, guys who would be first-round draft picks, a lot of people would argue, coming back and playing another time for the Tigers? I think what's special about Clemson is the way that Dabo has built this program, and he's built it on character and family values that – the guys love playing for him, love playing for each other, and it's not just about the individual. Um, you know, Miles Murphy opted out. He's going to be going to the draft, probably a first-round talent, and he's the first opt-out under Dabo Sweeney. And so I think it's interesting to, to see how, even though he's had so many talented players come through the program, these guys don't opt out, even if it's a game like the Orange Bowl that doesn't really have much implications on the national scale. You know, it's just a game for the Tigers and volunteers that try to have bragging rights, really. And so... It's interesting to see that these guys don't want to opt out of these games. They want to be a part of playing for Dabo one more time or even come back for an extra season to try to compete for a national championship. And I think the the main thing there is that Dabo has built a program that is built on family, and these guys love each other. They love their coach. They love the university, and they want to put on a show for their fans. And I think that's just what they built the program on. Yeah, I agree. And in in a time like this, it's refreshing to see these guys – like these, like these Clemson players, like we've seen with Bryce Young and, and Will Anderson at Alabama, deciding that they want to come back. They want to play another game for their coaches. They want to play another game for their universities. You, know, you just don't see that a lot nowadays. And, uh, you know, I wonder as NIL becomes a thing more and more, obviously we're seeing it factor into, you know, recruiting and transfer portal destinations. It's a thing now where on a lot of recruiting boards, they have their worth in NIL deal on their 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 resume and so i wonder you know if this is going to be a thing where in the future we see guys who are could potentially be you know like a fourth round draft pick come back another year make money through nil and then enter enter the draft another year later after they've potentially boosted their draft stock yeah i've seen some reports of you know guys coming out of high school already getting million dollar deals and it's like well at that point your perform or your pay isn't based on performance or anything like that. You're just getting paid to go to the university, and so why not keep playing? You know, you get to play with without much. I saw somebody they were guaranteed a million dollars each year they played at the university, regardless of how how well they played. And so it's like, why not keep playing there? You're getting a million dollars anyway. I mean, sure, you might be able to get a little bit more if you go to the NFL if you're a first round talent, but if not, I mean, you might not make that much money in your career. So why not go ahead and get the guaranteed money? that is not dependent on your, your play at all. So it, it's really interesting to see how NIL is really factoring into guys' decisions for recruiting, for transfer. I mean, all that kind of stuff. It's just it's a, a lot different than what it used to be. Absolutely. You know, there was always the jokes and the rumors about people being paid to go to college and, and boosters and, you know, Tennessee with their case where they got caught with, like, McDonald's bags full of money or something <laughs> like that. Um, you know, I think it's interesting now how – it's just so public. Like, you know, there are people now that are making millions of dollars, like you said, to just be there. Like, I think it was something where Nick Saban a couple years ago said that Bryce Young was making like seven figures and he hadn't played a snap as an Alabama quarterback. Yeah. And, you know, this is something to where I think it's going to even the playing field a lot for some of these lesser known players who aren't making this NIL money, who aren't being drug around by these different organizations getting paid. Because they're going to work harder. You know, they, they don't necessarily want to make that money. They don't necessarily, you know, have that desire. They just want to go to the league. They want to provide for their families 20 years from now. Whereas these guys who, like you said, 
why why would you try hard if you're making a million dollars a year regardless of how you do regardless of if you're even on the field so i think it's gonna be interesting to see kind of long term how does the ncaa under new president kind of rein in nil while still keeping it available for players to make money because you know as a former collegiate athlete as as a former athlete yourself you understand like a lot of times when you're you're doing these things you don't have time to go get a job somewhere you're battling school you're battling practices you're battling lifts so i think it's a good thing but i definitely think it's something to where the ncaa kind of needs to reel it in and fix it to where you know, these guys aren't just making crazy stupid money for for no reason like <laughs> these guys you're a five-star recruit you're gonna make a million dollars regardless of if you're a bust regardless of if you're the best player to ever play college football you're making that money yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. The, the guys need – I mean, NIL as a whole, it it, under, it makes sense that these guys, they deserve to get paid for their name, image, and likeness. They deserve to have some kind of payment for the money they're bringing into the university. But it doesn't make sense for them to get paid before they even step foot on the university, on the campus. It doesn't make any sense. And I think it's, in a way, taking college football and other college sports in a direction that's not as good as it could be. I think it's a great idea, but it needs to, like you're saying, be reined in just a little bit. Yeah, absolutely agree. But to get back on topic, Tennessee, Clemson at 8 p.m. on Friday. Thomas, I'm not even going to ask you who you're going to pick because you're going to pick Clemson. I'm going to go with Clemson as well. Like you said, there's just so many opt-outs on the Tennessee side, whereas Clemson's not going to battle that. They've got a got a new exciting quarterback in Cade Klubnik who's going to look to prove that, listen, I should have been the guy from day one. They had this other guy, and, and for some reason they didn't go with me. Obviously, it's my team. They're going to look to boost themselves in the next year to hopefully get back to a playoff where they've missed for two years in a row. You know, it's something to where we're not used to seeing this. This is the first year since the playoff started where Alabama and Clemson have not been a part of it. I think it's good for college football to have that little bit of diversity, but I know that that you as a Clemson student and as a Clemson fan would much rather Clemson make it every single year. So they're going to look to get back to it. But just to recap, Thomas and I are both going to go with Clemson. I just think Clemson's the better team. I know you obviously think they're the better team, so we're not even going to ask. Um, but getting into our next bowl game, we've got the Sugar Bowl with number five, Alabama, taking on number nine, Kansas State. The line in this one is Alabama being a six-and-a-half-point favorite. You know, like we just kind of mentioned, Alabama and Clemson aren't in the playoffs for the first time. Whereas they both don't have many opt-outs like we see with a lot of other teams like like a Tennessee, like a USC, who have these big, massive opt-outs, who, who have these guys leaving to go to the draft, leaving to go to the portal. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how Nick Saban's side responds to just another game. Like it doesn't doesn't really matter. You're just playing in the Sugar Bowl. You're playing Kansas State, a team that, I'm going to be honest, I didn't think should have been your Big 12 champion. I think it should have been TCU. A couple calls didn't go TCU's way at the end of that game. So, I, I mean, Vegas already says that, that Alabama is going to be, be a favorite by more than a touchdown. What are your thoughts on that? I, I kind of agree with, with Vegas on this one. I think had Bama had a few more opt-outs, then Kansas State stands a better chance. But Alabama, with Nick Saban in the postseason, they're a good team. They're a scary team. And... Kansas State, yes, they have a lot to prove, but Bama's not the team that's going to let them prove that. Um, Bama doesn't like to lose, especially with Nick Saban at the, as the head coach, and you know they didn't make the playoffs, so they don't like to lose. And Kansas State beating them in the Sugar Bowl would kind of be a, a little bit disrespectful in, in Alabama's eyes, I think. And I think they think they're a better program than that, and that they deserve. They think they deserve to be in the in the playoffs. So I think they're going to try to prove that as best they can against Kansas State. Yeah, I definitely agree. You know, I, we celebrated on the podcast a couple of weeks ago when when Alabama lost LSU to get that second second loss. I I've gone out and said it on the podcast before. I'm just not a huge fan of Alabama. I have the ultimate respect for them. I think that 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 is a dynasty unlike anything we will ever see ever again. Nick Saban is the by far the best coach in college football history. But you know, in a year of kind of craziness, like we said, we've got you know TCU making the the playoffs for the first time. We've got two teams from the Big Ten making the playoff for the first time. You know, this is kind of a year where we thought the SEC could potentially have three teams, and then there was a point at, at the very, very end where are they going to get any teams in if, if LSU beats Georgia? So um, I think it's going to be something to where 
Alabama is going to look to prove that they're still dominant. They're going to look to prove that they are still the cream of the crop in college football. I I think Kansas State, they're going to come in. They're going to feel good. They had a really good season. Obviously, won the Big 12 for the first time in like 12 years, I think. Um, so they feel really good about it. I don't think there's as much on the line for Kansas State. You lose to Alabama, you go 10-4. and four. Like That's a respectable year in a, in a lot of people's eyes, um, especially with the loss to Alabama in a bowl game. But if you're Bama and you lose this game, you lose – 10 or you win 10 games and you lose three like this is almost crisis mode for the crimson tide who who are used to winning 12 11 games a year and losing maybe once so i think it's going to be really interesting to see kind of how alabama responds obviously we have this long break this long layover where nothing really happens and then you get the the christmas season and guys get a break and they get to go home so it's going to be interesting to see you know how nick saban kind of kept his guys going, kept them motivated. You know, from what I've heard and from what a lot of people around college football here, Nick Saban is a very, very intense coach as far as practice goes. I'm sure those guys were running their tails off by the end of that season just to prove that to Nick Saban himself that they still were worthy of being on an Alabama team mm-hmm. who is known for winning college football championships. They are known for being the best of the best. But like we said, interesting storyline in this one is Bryce Young is coming back. You know, he had some injury problems earlier in the year. Personally, I was surprised to see this, especially after some of the injury concerns he's had throughout his time at Alabama. You know, we talked about it a minute ago where, you know, Dabo Sweeney has kind of built it on family and culture, but you don't necessarily think about that when you think about Nick Saban in Alabama. No, Nick Saban in Alabama are more of a business is what it seems like. You know, I think he's almost disappointed. He brings in a five-star that doesn't, that doesn't go to the NFL in three years. It's like he let them down in a way. I think his goal is to get those guys three years and they're done and they're in the NFL. And I think Bryce Young, I'm almost certain, will declare for the NFL draft. But for him to come back dealing with injury this year and play one last game where he's risking his draft stock for this program, it's really interesting to see. He's um, a guy that's a top, uh, you know, probably top 10 talent, regardless of what he does in this bowl game, unless he gets hurt. And so there's really no upside for him in playing this game. And it's interesting to see that a guy like him will come back for one last game and, and put it all on the line for his team one last time. Yeah, I, I like what you said there about Alabama being um, a business. You know, I think you get a lot of different atmospheres in college football. You get a lot of different cultures in college football. You, know, you look at teams like Clemson and South Carolina who are built on this hype, this energy, this family dynamic and atmosphere. But then you look at teams like you know Texas A&M, Alabama, maybe even Georgia a little bit, who are built on this like desire and absolute need to win. It, it, is, it isn't just something to where they want to win. It's that they need to win. Their fan bases demand perfect seasons. And I think that's why you see so much hot and, and heat on um, Jimbo Fisher right now because he had a decent year last year with Texas A&M. They had the number one recruiting class coming into this year. And then they just blew up. Like, nobody really knows what happened. They've had a mass exodus in the portal where they've had over 20 guys enter the transfer portal. So, um, you know, with this game going on, it's obviously on New Year's Eve Saturday. Kickoff is at 12 p.m. We're kind of used to that being a night game, but obviously we've got the playoff later on. What are your expectations for this game? I I see Alabama winning this game comfortably. Bama has more to prove. You know, a loss here is big for their program recruiting-wise, and I think they have a lot to show, and I think that's why Bryce Young came back and why Will Anderson came back to play this last game and to put it all on the line, and I think they're, they're going to win comfortably. I could, I, th- I see them winning and covering the six-and-a-half-point spread. You know, I, I have to agree. Like we said, I think there's just a lot more on the line for Alabama in this one. Kansas State, like we said, you get the 10 wins and you win the Big 12. That's a heck of a season for them. Um, I'm not really sure what their recruiting rank looks like right now, but I would assume it's probably pretty good. They've got a lot of hype around that that organization. They're playing good football again like we used to see when Snyder was the coach way back in the day. We're seeing these these top 15, top 10 Kansas State teams regularly. I think that that's something we could potentially see more of in the future. But for right now, if you're a Kansas State fan, you're really, really happy with 10 wins. You're unbelievably happy winning the Big 12. I just think there's more on the line for Alabama. Bryce Young's going to have something to prove. He's going to feel like he can boost that draft stock like you and I have kind of agreed to. I don't necessarily think there's anything to boost. I think he's a top 10 draft pick, and it's really going to come down to who needs a quarterback first. And it's going to come down to, well, do we want Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, or surprisingly, Will Levis? So 
<laughs> Still not a huge Will Levis fan, but it's okay. Whatever. Todd McShay, I guess you know better than me. We'll have to wait and see. But, um, you know, like you said, I agree that Alabama just has way more to prove in this one. So, we continue the trend of picking the same team. We're both going with Alabama to beat Kansas State in the All-State Sugar Bowl. Next is an interesting matchup in the Cotton Bowl. Number 16, Tulane, is going to take on number 10, USC. USC in this one is a two-point favorite. Obviously, Vegas thinks this game is going to be close. We mentioned it a minute ago. USC has a lot of opt-outs going into you know, the NFL draft and whatnot. They had a really, really disappointing end of the season. Whereas you look at Tulane, a team that went 2-10 and 10 last year, turns it around to go 11-2 and two and win the American by beating UCF in a revenge game at home to go 11-2 and win the conference. You know, like we talked about a minute ago, I think there's a lot on the line in this game for both teams. You know, a minute ago we were talking about how Kansas State didn't really have anything to lose. They had an unbelievable year. But if you're Tulane, like, when else are you going to have this opportunity to play in a New Year's Six Bowl and, and potentially beat a top 10 team like USC, whereas coming into the year, they hadn't beat an AP top 10 team, a top 25 team in program history. So, you know, I think it's a really interesting matchup, and there's a lot to talk about here. Yeah, I think Tulane here, um, as they go with, with all the conference realignment, um, they have a chance to really make themselves a staple for recruits in that area. Um, they, they, they can be dominant nowadays, and so... I think this game helps them out a lot recruiting-wise and just going forward in the future. If they win this game, it's massive for their program and the trajectory that it's going in. And USC, kind of the same way. A loss here is embarrassing. And, you know, while they have been able to get a few recruits with Lincoln Riley, it would hurt a lot to lose to a group of five school. So I think both teams are kind of trying to prove something in this game. USC not really trying to prove something, but trying to avoid something. And so I think... USC really needs to win this game so they don't get embarrassed, really, by a group of five school. And Tulane winning this game would just boost the tra- trajectory of that school like immensely. So I-, I think it's a really interesting game, honestly. Yeah, like we mentioned before, and like you just mentioned here now, with, with the addition of BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF entering the Big 12, in the expectations of Texas and Oklahoma entering the SEC here in the next year or two, that opens the door for a team like Memphis, like Tulane, like some of these other Sunbelt teams and American teams to to be that next best team. If you look at the current uh, playoff with the, with the 12 teams, it's the best six conference champions. So in a year like this year, we see a team like Tulane getting into a college football playoff where, you know, they're not going to be expected to win the whole thing. They're not going to be expected to go out and, and even win a game, period. But we've seen crazy things happen, especially in March Madness with, you know, St. Petersburg last year going on this big run, getting all the way to the Elite Eight and almost beating North Carolina to get to the Final Four. Um, you know, who's who's not to count out Tulane? Who's not to count out a, a Cincinnati team who who a couple years ago got, got all the way to the Final Four and, and played Alabama and ultimately got embarrassed by Alabama. <laughs> but that's another discussion for another time. So, you know, like you said, I think if you're, if you're Tulane and you're a Tulane fan, you're looking at this game as a point to make yourself the next best team. And, and, and in, a, in an era and in a, a season and a time where being the next best team is the best possible place because, you know, I talked about it on the podcast a couple weeks ago, if I was a recruit, and let's say I'm a three-star recruit, and I've got a chance to go play at, at at LSU and be the backup linebacker, or I've got a chance to go to Tulane and be the star defensive player, one of the best to ever do it, I'm going to go to Tulane and play because I know there I'm going to get an opportunity. I know that there I'm going to get good coaching while still playing games. And we've seen time and time again that, that playing at the big school doesn't always necessarily matter for NFL draft prospects. A lot of times, these mid-major guys, these guys in the in the group of five, are still getting chances in the NFL. They're still getting drafted. It doesn't matter when you get drafted. Just as long as you go to the league, you get a chance to go and be great. Yeah, and I think, like you're saying, if, if I'm a recruit and I see, oh, Tulane just beat a top 10 team in USC, a Pac-12 team in USC, a playoff hopeful team like USC, and they just beat them, why would I not go there and try to build onto that legacy that they're building there? I think they're doing great things at Tulane. And I think this game is just another step in trying to build that program a little bit more. 
Absolutely agree. So we're going to get into picks now. This is it's it's a difficult pick because you look at, at at Tulane and they've got one of the hardest runners in the country in Spears who had this big magical run went for like 65 yards or something where he broke like 10 tackles and then you look at USC and their conference championship game and they had like 25 missed tackles in the entire game combined so I think it's gonna be something to where if Pratt and Spears can get it going get the offense rolling I I mean we could potentially see an upset that we haven't really seen before since UCF won the Peach Bowl back a couple years ago. So I'm honestly going to go with Tulane in this one. I just think that it's too good of a story. I think that Tulane's going to be too fired up, whereas USC is still going to be down in the dumps. They're still going to be kicking themselves. All they had to do was beat Utah, and they would be in. So I'm going with Tulane. You know, I would love nothing more than to see Tulane win this game, but I find it hard to believe that this Tulane team can can hang around with USC even with the opt-outs I think Lincoln Riley's done a really good job there in his, his one year and I think he's built them in a way where they're going to be a playoff team for years to come I think they're going to start dominating the Pac-12 really soon here and I think this game is going to kind of make sure that everybody knows they're not here to mess around and be just an average team that can lose to these group of five schools they're going to cement themselves as one of the top teams in the country in this game. I, I, I'm surprised that it's a two-and-a-half-point spread. I get that with the with the opt-outs that maybe they're not as good as, as they usually would be. I still think they're a good bit better than Tulane. I think they can they can prove that on, uh, on the second. Yeah, we're going to have to wait and see. Like Thomas just mentioned, this game is on the second. I know we're used to seeing a lot of these games be played on New Year's Day. However, the New Year's Day falling on a Sunday, obviously the NFL has that kind of – uh, monopoly on Sunday football so the 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 college football world having to take a step back having to go to the second this game will be played at 1 p.m on the second on ESPN just to remind you guys I'm taking Tulane he's taking USC we'll have to wait and see what happens next moving into our next game the granddaddy of them all the rose bowl game featuring number 11 penn state taking on the pac-12 champions number eight utah utah enters the game as a two and a half point favorite i think the biggest storyline coming in is some of the key opt-outs both teams will be missing their best wide receiver parker washington and dalton kincaid respectively and their best cornerbacks as well obviously We've got an unbelievable, who I think is a very, very underrated quarterback in Cam Rising, who is going to play in this one. Yeah, I've enjoyed watching Cam Rising and, and Dalton Kincaid kind of play with each other this year. They've been a great duo to watch, and I think Kincaid's going to have a really great NFL career, if I have to say that. But um, it's it's interesting to see that both teams will be missing their their number one targets. Um, Clifford and Rising going to have to find other people to throw the ball to. It'll be interesting to see how both teams react to that. Yeah, I, I think this is something to where you look at this Utah team, a team who just kind of stuck around all over the place all year. We're just in a nuisance. You know, they, they only lost to the likes of USC by the one point. Or no, they beat USC mm-hmm. by one point because they went for two and at the very, very end of the game. They lost to, to an Oregon team that was really good. I think they lost to Washington State as well, if I'm thinking that correctly. I apologize if not. But, you know, we're just a pain in the tail. And we saw this a lot last year as well. Obviously, got to play in the Rose Bowl last year. Took what should have been a playoff Ohio State team all the way to the wire before C.J. Stroud had an unbelievable fourth quarter performance, rising the Buckeyes to another level, taking them to the promised land in the Rose Bowl, giving them that Rose Bowl championship. So it's going to be interesting to see, coming off the back of last year, having that miraculous run at the end of the year, beating Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game to get to the Rose Bowl, how they come out and they back that performance this year. Yeah, I think Utah, a lot of people thought they might have a chance of making the playoff, and I think rightfully so. They have all the makings to be a playoff team. It just didn't work out for them this year. And, I mean, we saw that they were able to win these big games because I mean, they, they were the sole reason that USC didn't make the playoffs this year. And so I think it's interesting to see that Utah, back in the Rose Bowl, ready to compete again in a prestigious bowl game. Um, I, I think – Really, Utah is just trying to prove that they are still one of those top teams in the Pac-12, in a Pac-12 that's just getting better by the year. Absolutely. And, you know, something we need to talk about is a lot of people calling this the death of the Rose Bowl. Obviously, now that we're going to get into this 12-team playoff, it's going to be something to where it isn't just 
the Big Ten playing the Pac-12. What are your thoughts on that? You know, I've always loved that some of these big bowl games have had conference tie-ins. And I think the Rose Bowl being Pac-12, Big Ten for all these years, it's been really fun to watch these great teams because they play such different styles of football. You know, nowadays the Pac-12, not much defense played and a lot of offense played. And the Big Ten's kind of the opposite where it's not rare to see three tight ends on the field for a team. And so um, these games have always been interesting. You never know if you're going to get a high-scoring or a low-scoring game depending on the teams that are playing in it. But it's been fun to watch these two conferences specifically play each other. And I'm, I'm a little bit upset that we're not be able to you know, necessarily have that every year from here on out. Yeah, I agree. You know, definitely some of the best memories growing up watching these games are just some shootouts. You know, you've had unbelievable players play in this game. We've gone on to have unbelievable uh, careers in the NFL. You think about Sam Darnold. You think about Baker Mayfield, Russell Wilson. But then you think about, you know, I, I personally think back to the Georgia-Oklahoma game and how awesome and amazing that game was. Neither team being in the Big 12 or, or the Pac-12, or the Big 10, excuse me, um, but still providing this unbelievable game. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, exactly how the country responds to it. Because it's not something to where we're just throwing this bowl game away. If anything, it means more now because on a yearly basis, it's a playoff game. On a yearly basis, it's got meaning behind it because I feel like you know not necessarily for the Rose Bowl because if you get to the Rose Bowl it's a big deal you want to win the Rose Bowl but like we talked about if you're in the the Orange Bowl why in the world are you gonna try what like what good does it do you if you have a really really good game in this one so I think this game is gonna be really good um, I was really high on Penn State earlier this year picked them picked them to beat Michigan at home and then Michigan went out and spanked them and that was kind of Michigan's you know, turning point in the season that after that they started beating teams more handily they they got an identity in running the football so it's gonna be interesting to see exactly how Penn State responds to to an okay year you know Penn State's always going to be just barely close you know they've, they've still got to play Michigan and Ohio State every single year one of the toughest schedules in America so you know I think this is going to be interesting to wear we're going to have to wait and see exactly how they respond to a very tough, physical Utah team. It's really interesting to talk about Penn State because, like you said, they have such a tough schedule with those top teams in Ohio State and Michigan. And those are the only games they lost. They, they handled business in every other game. But in these big games, they didn't necessarily live up to the hype. And so they're a hard team to judge because in their two, I would say, their two hard games on, on this year, they didn't really show up completely. I mean, they, they held strong with Ohio State for most of that game. But... They, they weren't able to win those big games this year. And so playing another big game, a top 10 team in Utah, it's it's weird to, to you know try to predict this one because of how Penn State's performed this year. They've, they've won comfortably in a lot of games, and then in the big games they didn't necessarily show up. So it's, it's a hard one to pick. Yeah, I agree. I think that you know I, I'm good friends with, obviously, the Kluklerich family. We've talked about them on the podcast before. They're big Penn State fans. And the thing I always talk about them with is James Franklin – struggles to win the big game. And we see it every single year. These Penn State teams, obviously Penn State ranked 11th in the country right now. Two losses coming to two playoff teams. This is a really, really good football team. So why in the world are they getting hammered by Michigan and Ohio State? I think they're just not quite on the same level. Um, you know, they get a lot of big-time recruits, yes, but they're not the historic programs. They're not quite on the same level as Ohio State and Michigan. And so those programs are known for winning historically. And I think really for James Franklin and Penn State, to win one big game kind of puts them over the edge. And they've won, you know, they beat Ohio State in the past, they beat Michigan in the past, but to have that one season where they put it all together, make the playoffs and have a good run, I think that puts them over the edge where maybe they, they become that staple in the Big Ten. And I think they're not quite there yet, and they're maybe one, two big wins away from being there. I agree. You know, I think it's only a matter of time before we see Penn State have the year that everybody keeps saying they're going to have. They finally beat Michigan and Ohio State. They go undefeated. They have a really, really good chance at, at not just a conference championship, but a national championship. And I think this is something to where the 12-team the playoff is going to give Penn State a chance. Because right now, you can't keep Penn State out of the playoffs if you go to 12. Because their two losses are against number two Michigan and number four Ohio State. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think... It opens up the chances for, for teams like Penn State that are right on the edge of being the team. They could prove something if they if they make the playoff. They can make a little bit of noise maybe, but 
I, that's what I'm excited for when it comes to the the 12-team playoff. And Utah's the same way. I mean, they won their conference. They get, they're hot at the right time. They can make some noise too. And so, I mean, both these teams would be playoff teams in the future, um, just a few years from now. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've we've we talked about it whenever they announced it, but you know, you have some of the great atmospheres in college football. None better than Penn State's whiteout. You know, I mean, what an unbelievable story it would be to have 105,000 people having another whiteout game. Maybe you could change it to, like, blue out or something just yeah. to make it a little different. It's not whiteout. They already did that, but maybe it's something like that. But just an unbelievable atmosphere. You, we saw at in the USC-Utah game just an unbelievable, amazing atmosphere where people are in the stands waving flags all over the place. Mm-hmm. It's as loud as it's ever been. It was their biggest game of the year. I, I, personally, for me, I think that's what I'm most excited about for these teams, for this going into the 12-team playoff, is that, you know, I talked about it. Imagine how much fun you have at your game in October, right? You're playing a conference game. It's a big game. Imagine how much fun it is. Okay, now take that and put it in a playoff atmosphere. Now it's win or go home. It's all the glory is on the table. I just, oof, I mean, it gives me goosebumps yeah, thinking yeah, about does. it. I cannot imagine just the tradition, the excitement, all of that that goes into college football just being amplified into such an extreme venue. Yeah, you know, I always said growing up, if I wasn't a Clemson fan and I had to choose where I was going to college for, for athletics, I would go to Penn State. The atmosphere, the tradition behind it all, they're right on the edge almost every year. I would have loved to be an athlete at Penn State. And I think, you know, Utah's the same way. I have a brother that lives in Utah now. And, I mean, he was talking about some of his friends that went to the Utah-USC game. Just an insane atmosphere. Both these places, I mean, man, it, it does give me chills as well thinking about just all these different stadiums hosting their own playoff game. I can't imagine Death Valley, you know, Happy Valley, all these places just, they'd be great. I can't, I can't wait for it. I'm really excited. Agreed. I'm glad we could agree. You know, we've seen a lot of people on Twitter, you know, now that it's kind of happened, you kind of see this general consensus of, okay, well, maybe it is going to be a good thing, but there was a lot of pushback on Twitter and and other social media platforms where people were saying, well, you know, no, we don't want to give everybody the opportunity because, well, you know, Penn State doesn't deserve it because they didn't beat Michigan or Ohio State. Well, I would argue that they do deserve it because these are two really, really good teams. You can't just judge a team based off two games. Like you said, they handle business in every other game. So why not give the boys a chance? You know, you've got a Utah team who's got three losses on the year. But are you going to try and argue with me that Utah doesn't deserve to be in the playoffs right now? Because they beat handily a USC team that was one win away from making the playoffs. Yeah, I've had mixed feelings about the 12-team playoffs just because it takes a little bit of the meaning out of some of the regular season games. But then there's also teams, you know, like Utah, like Penn State, that they do deserve a chance. I mean, you get hot at the right time with a 12-team playoff, you can go on a historic run. With, with you know, right now you lose two games early in the year. Doesn't matter how you finish the year, your, your chances are basically shot. And so I, I do like the idea of giving these teams that maybe started off a little bit weaker and then you know gained momentum as the season went on, giving them a real chance to make some noise in the playoff. Yeah, I definitely agree. As a South Carolina fan, you know, we started out the season pretty rough. We had a away game against Arkansas. We played Georgia at home the next weekend. But, you know, if you look at it, we should have won every other game from there on out. We got embarrassed by Florida. We we dropped a game to Missouri that we shouldn't have. But, you know, you look at it like a team like South Carolina this year. Why in the world would a team that goes 10-2, and let's say we beat Missouri and Florida, but we lose week two and week three, we're in September still. Like, those games shouldn't have that much meaning on mm-hmm. them. But, you know, it would have completely derailed the season. It would have completely just made it not unimportant to win out because it still would have been very, very important. It still would have put them in a very, very good position. But you've got a team like Georgia in your division where you're not going to go to the SEC championship game. You're just going to go to a, let's call it what it is, meaningless bowl game in the probably the Orange Bowl. They would probably just be Tennessee. But, like, you know, why... Why is it that way? And I'm glad that finally now we've kind of got this parity. We've kind of got this equal opportunity, call it what it is, where teams like Penn State, Utah, and some of these other top 10 teams that didn't quite make the playoffs to go and prove that they deserve to be a national champion. Yeah, you, you talk about South Carolina, and you, you know, as much as I hate to say it, no team in the country wanted to play them late in the year. And it's because they were hot at the right time. And, you know, sure, they probably would have had to lose or win one more game that they lost, but... They, you know, a three-loss South Carolina team as hot as they were, you can't convince me they're not going to make noise in the playoffs. And so I, I think it's a good thing for those teams that maybe struggle early in the year and um, can still make noise whenever it gets to, you know, postseason. Yeah, I agree. You know, and, and I'm a big advocate for, 
you know, you, you said maybe it takes away from the regular season. Well, I, I'm a big advocate. I said it on the podcast before. Let's just take away some of these cupcake games. You know, I know, I understand that they're good learning chances for your team. You know, you look at South Carolina, started the season kind of rough. Luckily, had Charlotte and SC State after Georgia were able to kind of turn the ship around, kind of get it going straight again, go on this four-game win streak, and that really sets them straight going into the month of November. So, you know, I understand that those games can be important, but let's. there's no reason for, for South Carolina to be playing Charlotte before they play Clemson. You know, the mm-hmm. SEC is notorious for, for having those cupcake games the week before their rivalry. So here's my offer. Just make it a bye week, right? It's already a bye week. You're already resting guys at halftime. You know, I forget who Alabama played this year, but Bryce Young didn't even play the second half because mm-hmm. he didn't need to because they had the, had the game in wraps. It was over. It was done with. And, and then, you know, they go on and they destroy destroy Auburn. So my argument there would just be, listen, like, cut out some of the cupcake games. You know, if you're going to add, you know, add a, add a conference game, maybe make it to where you get two out-of-conference games and, and you get the regular in-conference schedule to where you're playing eight games and you've got a bye week here and there more often throughout the season to give guys a break. Yeah, I like the idea of either making it a bye week or putting that game earlier in the year. These games are meant to be cleanup games where you're you're kind of finding the right rhythm with your team and I think these games can be better off you know you see them in early September late August make these games earlier in the year so that late in the season you're you're playing the teams that you know the games that really matter because you know like you're saying playing Charlotte playing some of these weaker teams it doesn't really make your program any better at that point in the season it's just a bye week and so either give them a bye week then or make the the cupcake game earlier in the season do something a little bit different because it's, it's it's not fun to watch a, a November game where where Auburn's playing Western Kentucky. That's just not a game that you want to see. You want to be seeing, you know, Auburn playing A and M or something like that instead. Absolutely agree. We've gone completely <laughs> off the rails. We're supposed to be talking about the Rose Bowl. We're talking about cupcake games. So we're gonna get into picks. Um, I think Utah's gonna win this game. I just think that, like you said, Utah gets hot at the right time every single year. They they did it last year. I think they're gonna get over the hump and win the Rose Bowl this year. Yeah, I have to agree with you for different reasons, though. I think Penn State, like I said, they handled business outside of their two tough games, but when they played a big game, they couldn't really, they couldn't really, you know, size up as well as they should. I don't think they're quite there yet. I think they're a really good team that just can't beat other good teams. I think Utah is a really good team that can win big games, and I think Utah will win this game. Absolutely agree. Just to remind you, in case you weren't listening a second ago. We're both taking Utah to get the win over Penn State in the Rose Bowl on January the 2nd at 5 p.m. Getting into the games that actually matter. The Fiesta Bowl between number three, TCU, and number two, Michigan. Michigan has the advantage in this one in the line being a seven and a half point favorite. Thomas, what are your thoughts on this matchup? Well, first off, it's just really fun to see a team like TCU getting into this game. Um, you know, I'd love nothing more for Clemson to be in this game or I mean the playoff in general. But as a college football fan in general, it's just better to see teams like TCU and Michigan who aren't annually in this game. And so I think it's just really fun to watch a team like TCU who just had an unbelievable run, uh, a Cinderella season almost. And it's just it's exciting to see a team like this have a chance at you know making the national championship. Absolutely. You know, TCU, one of the feel-good stories of the year. Sonny Dykes coming in in his first year and taking the Horn Frogs to a 12-1 and record and losing a game that they probably shouldn't have lost because I still think the running back got in. But obviously what's done is done. The story's been written. The trophy's been handed out. You know, this is a Michigan team that questions were asked early on in the season. I, I questioned them to be a contender. Uh, I, I, I said they were, but I said I needed to see just a little bit more, and it was something to where we did see more. And like we talked about, that Penn State game kind of propelled them into the end of the season where they were just hammering people and finishing the year off with absolute style going to Columbus and taking care of the number two Buckeyes. Yeah, both these teams early in the year, I didn't really believe in them very much. You know, TCU had a lot of games where they kind of just escaped and got by, and Michigan didn't, I mean, they had such an easy schedule at first, and then even in their you know tougher games in conference at the beginning of the season, they just didn't look very good. I thought Michigan was probably going to go down to Ohio State, and I thought TCU could lose really any of their games at the end of the season. They just didn't look like they were quite put together yet. And so, um, you know, both these teams kind of proved me wrong this year, and I'm excited to see what they can do on the field. 
Absolutely. You know, this is a story of of two what should be Heisman candidates. Obviously, Max Duggan was a Heisman finalist. He was second in the voting. But a running back in Blake Quorum who had an unfortunate injury, who unfortunately will not play in this game, but he's being replaced by another star runner. Michigan has kind of taken on that identity of being being a run-first team. They have a very, very physical offensive line. Obviously, J.J. McCarthy is, is a still a very, very good passer. He's got over 2,000 yards in the year, 20 touchdowns and three interceptions. So, you know, they can pass the ball. But how is this TCU team going to be able to stop a, a running quarterback in J.J. McCarthy and then a really, really strong running attack from the Wolverines? I think it comes down to just trying to be more physical. You said they have a really physical offensive line, and it's true. And I think it really benefits them. As much as you hate to see it as a fan, Quorum not playing – I think it's really beneficial for TCU to have, you know, more of a chance. He's such a good runner, and while they still have, you know, good running backs in that in that program that aren't Blake Corum, you can still, you could possibly see TCU stopping somebody that's not named Blake Corum. And so, um, I think it's going to take TCU kind of managing the clock a little bit and um, not letting Michigan uh, stay on the field too long. If if Michigan gets the opportunity to tire out that TCU defense, it doesn't look good for TCU. I don't think. Absolutely agree. You know, Michigan has kind of dominated the time of possession in games a lot this year and just worn people down to where, you know, a lot of their games are close at halftime. If you look, especially at the Penn State game, it was like a seven-point game at halftime. And then I'm not so sure Penn State scored again in the second half just because their defense couldn't get off the field. The offense, you know, if you've got a bad possession, you could go 12 minutes just sitting on the sideline for playing for 10. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think it's going to be something to where – TCU has to get stops, and they have to score points early to get this Michigan team throwing the ball, to get this Michigan team doing what they're not necessarily comfortable doing. You know, I think Max Duggan is a great quarterback. He declared for the NFL draft not too long ago, which surprised me a little bit. I kind of expected him to come back. But, you know, I I, I was thinking about it the other day, and this is such a just a Cinderella run of a year for TCU. You don't necessarily expect this out of TCU every year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really was surprised, too, to see him – declaring but I think I I agree with you on that you know you don't want to go out you know if he loses this game still you made the playoffs you had a historic season with TCU and you don't want to see him come back and then have a disappointing year and so I think with him it's kind of going out on a high note regardless of what happens in this game or if they make the championship and lose regardless of what happens it's still been an exceptional year yeah you know we talked about it a minute ago I think it's really, really good to see a new team make the playoffs. We were so used to seeing the same old, same old. We finally had some change last year in Cincinnati. But like I said, I just don't necessarily think that Cincinnati team deserved to be there. Yes, I understand they went undefeated, but they just went and got humiliated by a really, really good Alabama team. So I think it's going to be something interesting to where can TCU hang around and, or, or will Michigan just dominate them and blow them out the water? Yeah, I mean, the spread, Vegas surely thinks that Michigan's going to handle business in this game, but I don't know, man. I'd, I'd love nothing more than to see TCU continue their historic run and upset the Wolverines in this one. Yeah, you know, I, I think if you think about TCU, you think about offense, their offense is unbelievable. The three-headed monster in Duggan, Miller, and Johnson has been almost unstoppable all year. And that defense has had some really good performances. You look at the game against Texas where they held Bijan Robinson to like 27 yards, a running back who's probably going to be the first taken in the NFL draft. He's a top 15 prospect. You know, I think that's going to be the story of the game is can TCU's offense continue to do what they've done all year and put points on the board and in bunches, might we add, or and can that can that team slow down the Michigan run attack enough to make the Wolverines throw the ball and let that secondary, who's been really good all year, do what they do. Yeah, I agree. You know, I think Duggan's going to be the deciding factor in this game. If you watched the Big 12 championship, I kind of agree with you. I think they probably deserve to win that game, Um, but they didn't. But the only reason they were in that game was because of Duggan. He had an exceptional game. He played his heart out, left it all on the field, and Luckily for him, he's had a little bit of a break now and can you know get some energy back, ready to play in this game. I think, you know, I'm gonna go ahead and say my pick now. I think he's gonna will them to a win here. Wow, you heard it here first. Thomas is taking TCU. You know, I'm torn between making my decision here because on one hand, like you said, I would love nothing more than to see TCU go on and challenge Georgia, but at the same time, I feel like Michigan is the better team. I feel like Michigan, if any team is gonna challenge Georgia. 
I feel like it's Michigan. I'm going to let that take control. I'm taking Michigan. Like I said, I just think that they're a very, very physical team. They, you know, if, if it is something to where they get past TCU, I think they're a team that could really, really challenge Georgia. You know, I think it's interesting that you're already saying Georgia. We hadn't even gotten to that game yet. But, um, no, I agree with you. I think the team that's most likely to put up a fight against Georgia in the championship would be Michigan. But I also think that TCU's got a little bit left in them. I think they have something to prove after getting their heart ripped out in that Big 12 championship. I think they've got something to prove. I think Michigan might just have to be the team that goes down because of it. You know, on the on the Georgia note, I, well, I guess we've already spoiled our picks for the next one, but I just don't know that anybody's going to stop Georgia. Um, having the opportunity to see them in person earlier this year in Columbia, I mean, it's it's a well-oiled machine that Kirby Smart's got there down, down in Athens. So it's going to be really, really interesting, especially with – basically home field advantage in in Atlanta but we'll get into that game in a minute we're not gonna get sidetracked this time talking about two random teams that have nothing to do with this game so uh just to remind you guys we're splitting up the picks again Thomas is taking TCU I'm taking Michigan this game will be on New Year's Eve at 4 p.m on ESPN Getting into the next game, we've already talked about it a little bit and spoiled the picks, but we still got to cover it. The Peach Bowl between number one, Georgia, and number four, Ohio State. The spread at this one has Georgia as a six and a half point favorite. And, you know, like I just mentioned, I just, this could be more. Like, we've seen a lot of playoff games in the past to where it's just one team deserves to be there, the other team doesn't deserve to be there. You can make a case that, yes, Ohio State definitely deserves to be there. But I'm going to argue that they necessarily don't. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't, I'm don't. i not a fan of seeing two teams from the same division ever make it. I don't think – you can't tell me that if they're the second best team in their division that they're necessarily a top four team in the country. And I say that knowing that Alabama has won the championship whenever they didn't win the SEC. And so, sure, they can go on these runs and whatnot. But I think Ohio State losing that game to Michigan – with the 14 playoff, that was their playoff game. That was their game to get in and prove that they deserved to be in, and they didn't win it. And so, you know, I kind of agree with you. Ohio State might not necessarily deserve to be in, but because of what happened around the country, they got lucky and they're still alive. Yeah, I mean, if if you're Ohio State, you better have sent Utah and South Carolina Christmas presents because without the Utes beating USC and without South Carolina taking care of business against Tennessee and Clemson, Ohio State's probably not even a top six team in the country. Mm-hmm. You know, you you look across their games, they handled business well, but I would argue that even though the Big Ten had two teams in the playoffs this year, they were one of the worst conferences But because you know, we talked about it a minute ago. You had Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State who took care of business except for Penn State losing to Michigan and Ohio State. But then as they beat everybody else, and if you look at it, a lot of those other teams, they just kind of lost and beat each other. So you had a bunch of teams that were really, really good. Obviously, you had three teams in the top 11. But then you have a bunch of teams who, at one point, SEC or the Big Ten West, nobody looked like they wanted to win because they just kept losing to each other. And we got to this last weekend in the season where it was if Iowa won, they were in, and Iowa lost. So that meant as long as Purdue won, and then Purdue barely won, I think. And so this is something to where, you know, I just don't necessarily think Ohio State's the fourth best team in the country. Obviously, I think C.J. Stroud is an unbelievable quarterback. I think he's going to be the guy that, even though Ohio State kind of has this stigma that where their quarterbacks don't do anything in the NFL, I think he could potentially be a guy that changes that going forward. Yeah, I agree with you. Stroud is just a great quarterback, and it was interesting to see his his press conferences after they lost to Michigan and how he talked about how his his legacy at um, Ohio State might not quite be what he wanted it to be just because he couldn't take care of business against Michigan. And I think he's, he's kind of downplaying how good of a player he is. He is a phenomenal quarterback, a legendary quarterback at Ohio State. And luckily for him, he's getting a chance here to prove that maybe he should be looked at in a, in a better light if he can take care of business in the playoffs here. Absolutely agree. But like we already talked about, George is unbelievable. I mean, I I know that there's this thing where any NFL team would smack any college team. (laughs) This might be a case, though, to where maybe they're not going to beat anybody, but I feel like Georgia could at least compete with some NFL teams. Yeah, and it's crazy because last year they had such an incredible team. I thought there was no chance they could bounce back this quickly, and they lost so much talent to the draft that I was like, well, there's no way – 
you know, maybe they win the SEC East, but there's no way they're going to win the SEC, and there's no way they're going to win the championship by far, and and yet here they are, the heavy favorites to win it all, and I, I'm just, I'm shocked with what Kirby Smart's been able to do there. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, like we said, Kirby Smart just has this well-oiled machine, and a lot of people are saying, well, maybe Georgia's kind of taking that Alabama stance in the in, in the college football now, and just being number one, no matter what, anybody else could be really good, yeah, sure, whatever, Georgia's still going to win it all. And I think we've seen this now two years in a row. You know, obviously last year they had the hiccup in the SEC championship game where Alabama got the best of them. But in the end, they got the last laugh and they took care of business in the Crimson Tide, not in blowout fashion, but in a very handily win. Yeah, and like I've been saying, I just didn't think they'd be able to have enough to bounce back. But like like you're saying, Kirby Smart, well-oiled machine there at Georgia. And it's, it's incredible to see a team you know, kind of rival Alabama. I mean, sure, Clemson's been there, but it was never like Clemson's this well-oiled machine that's just going to keep doing this over and over again. At this point, it's hard to say that Georgia's ever going to stop doing this. Absolutely, and if you look at Georgia having another unbelievable recruiting class coming in, I believe they're like number three in the country, only behind um, Alabama and one other team. I can't put my finger on it. I will. I apologize for that, guys. But, you know, it's just like you said, it, it does not look like this is going anywhere anytime soon. You know, we're used to seeing Alabama do these kind of things. We're used to seeing Ohio State do these kind of things. But I said earlier in the year, you know, Ohio State and Georgia really set themselves out. And then Ohio State kind of tapered off. And then Michigan kind of took their spot. Georgia's just been there. Like, they've mm-hmm. only had really one or maybe two scares where you could argue that maybe they weren't going to win. And, and that being in the in the Missouri game where they ended up taking care of business. And then Kentucky holding them to only 16 points. But the Wildcats could never do anything offensively because they have Will Levis as their quarterback. So I think it's going to be interesting to where, you know, can Ohio State kind of rise back to where they were earlier in the year when everybody thought it was Ohio State-Georgia 1A, 1B, and everybody else below? Yeah, it's really interesting to see this matchup um, because it's rare to see four teams that are really competent in the playoffs. And while I don't think Ohio State necessarily deserves to be there, they are a really good team. They're really competent, and they're not like the Cincinnati's of the world or – or, um, you know, Washington back in the day, or Michigan State, where these teams just weren't quite good enough to be there. Ohio State is good enough to be there. They deserve, you know, early in the year, I'd say, that they were looking like a heavy favorite, like you're saying. And I think this matchup, you know, a few few months ago, I would have said this is going to be my my championship prediction. And so I think this game, while, while Georgia is the heavy favorite here, I think this game could shock some people be, just because Ohio State has the talent to be in this game. They are good enough to be in this game. Absolutely agree. You know, like we said, I don't necessarily think Ohio State should be here, but we've potentially got the most even playoff we've had yet in the four teams, all being very, very good. You know, we're used to seeing, uh, you know, a Pac-12 team or, or a Big Ten team get in that doesn't necessarily deserve to be there, but they won out, they won a defeated, they won their conference, they checked all the boxes, and then they go and play Alabama or they go and play Clemson and or somebody else and they just get mashed so I think it's going to be interesting to see you know if Ohio State can respond can they get back to the Ohio State of earlier this year where they were really taking care of business against people and winning games like we mentioned I think Georgia's going to take care of business it's in Atlanta Bulldog Faithful is going to show up and show out even though those tickets were ridiculously expensive um, I still think that it's just going to be something to where Georgia's going to be too much yeah I agree I think Georgia's going to be able to take care of business here and I expect this game to be really high scoring um, just because Ohio State's got one of the top offenses, so does Georgia. I think what's going to come down to the reason Georgia's going to win this game is their defense has the ability to make these stops that really matter. And I think Georgia's going to be able to get stops maybe early in the game and, and kind of stifle that Ohio State offense before Ohio State can really get going, and that's going to propel them to the win. Absolutely. You know, I think it's going to be very, very interesting to see. But like we saw in, in the SEC championship game, Georgia just, the ball always bounces their way. You know, they block the field yeah. goal. They they get the interception where it, like, hits the guy's helmet and goes up in the air and they pick it off. So mm-hmm. I think we're just, it's going to be one of those things where sometimes the good teams are the luckiest teams, and I think this is going to continue for the Bulldogs here. But that is going to do it for our show today. I know it was a little bit on the longer side, um, but with, with the big games coming up, with everything to talk about, there was just there was too much to keep it short. So I apologize for anybody out there. If you want to just skip to the end, I don't blame you. But um, 
Lots of exciting bowl games coming up. Uh, much more than just these six, but this was just the six that we decided to talk about considering these are the big six bowl games coming up. Don't forget to follow us on social media at next underscore gen underscore A-T-H on Twitter and next underscore gen underscore athletics on Instagram. Um, like we mentioned earlier in the show, new podcasts are going to be coming out. We will make sure to promote those on social media for you guys so you're not going to want to miss it. Some big, exciting stuff coming out soon from here in Next Gen Athletics. Yep. Be on the lookout for, for those two podcasts coming out soon, and um, I'm excited to be a part of this team. Absolutely. We are excited to have you. Thomas, thank you for joining us. A round of applause from everybody at home. Guys, enjoy your weekend. Be safe. Hope you all had a Merry Christmas, and I will see you guys next year.